I am professional wrestler Chris Rex, and if you're hearing my voice, that means you're listening to the Bear of Texas podcast. Hello, 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 and welcome to another edition of Into the Net FC, the soccer talk segment of the Bear of Texas podcast. I am the host, Alex Alcazaz, a.k.a. the Bear of Texas, reporting live from an undisclosed location deep in the heart of Texas. Ladies and gentlemen, let's once again give a warm welcome to my good friend and mentor in beautiful and sunny Southern California. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give it up for Mr. Steve Adams. Hey, greetings from Los Angeles, where my wife and I have got our Christmas tree up, the earliest that I think we've ever had it up, and also uh, have already got quite a few of our Christmas cards out in the mail. So uh, the joys of taking advantage of the lockdown. Yeah, speaking of a Christmas tree, my mom just pulled it out. It's the same tree that we've had since I was fourteen, and I just I hope to I really hope to God it still works because it's it's been in the family for a while. I really don't like having a, having to get a new tree. Yeah, yeah, we got we got a a real one. Um, we got ours for thirty eight bucks at the Costco that's by us here in Pacoima. So, uh, so yeah, so we we usually get a natural tree. Well. It's good to be in the in the Christmas spirit, but I'm ready to talk some soccer. And Steve, this past weekend, you know, you know, uh, I this time I paid I made better effort to pay attention to my predictions. I I went five for five on this one, but just like I predicted, here's one thing I got for sure correct is that more and more shocking surprises were going to take place, and boy was I right. It's very wide open uh, weekend. Uh... You know, not sure which one you you want to begin with. One that was kind of a semi surprise. Uh, Liverpool was held to a one one draw at, down in Brighton on the coast. Uh, very nice goal earlier on in the game by Diego Jota, um, but then um, the the VAR curse and Liverpool's been on the crap end of the stick on a couple of really questionable VAR decisions. One that must have been by millimeters that disallowed a goal by uh, by Mo Salah. And then at the end of the game, extremely marginal penalty call. Uh, Andy Robertson was said to have fouled when he and the player were both kicking at the ball at the same time. Robertson missed the ball and just clipped a little bit of the other player's shoe. Penalty called. Brighton, Brighton ties the game up 1-1. So uh, after that Everton game earlier in the year, that's two draw matches that Liverpool had that, uh, thanks to some really questionable VR, VAR decisions, those were two what should have been wins that became draws that, uh, you know, who knows, towards the end of the season may very well end up biting them. You know, and, I, and I'm looking at, you know, it was two goals ruled out by VAR for Liverpool. It was most solid. Yeah, and I saw it. I paid attention. Apparently it was because it's toe. I think it was like the, the tip of his fingernail was probably what was offside. I mean, it, the whole thing's mysterious. And Sadio Mane also got a goal that was ruled uh, out because of VAR. I mean, it, it, I guess it's, it's more clear than ever. VAR just doesn't like Liverpool. But then again, keep in mind, the VAR just shows the replay. It's the referee that makes the official decision. But the, but the bottom line is, VAR just hasn't really been kind to Liverpool lately. Well, there's been a lot of talk from a, a lot other teams. I mean, it's not just Jurgen Klopp. Um, and the the thing that I just don't understand is that VAR is around in other leagues. It's there in the Champions League as well. But for whatever reason, uh, 
and these other entities, they don't seem to end up with these really, really head-scratcher decisions that the VAR and the EPL matches just seem to serve up week after week. It's just incredible. Um, I, I know French Liga, they use the, the VAR. Not nearly the level of controversy. Again, Champions League, not nearly the level of controversy, but for whatever reason, they just... Uh, seem to be having a hell of a time getting this thing ironed out in the EPL. It's just been, you know, like I said, more, more surprises. But, but as far as, as Liverpool goes, you know, now I'm starting to get increasingly worried because all these draws, all the frustration and everything. I mean, this is only 10 games in into the into the Premier League, and there's still the Champions League. So, you know, it's going to be a long season for the for the dudes, for the Reds. Well, I mean, on the bright side, there's there's still level on points at the top. They they trail Tottenham on goal differential, and then uh, today in the Champions League, uh, they beat Ajax at Anfield, so they're assured of getting into the round of sixteen there. So, yeah, not a horrible week, but uh, but I know that uh, Jurgen Klopp has been extremely vocal about you know not only some of the VAR stuff, but also this thing where like this past weekend Liverpool had a European match and then they had the early match on Saturday. And that's something that he feels like this has happened to him already a couple times this year where they've had European football, but yet the EPL doesn't try to make the schedule at least a little more fair or equitable at least pushing the match out at least to a later time or at least pushing it out maybe even perhaps to Sunday. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that certainly has been uh, a couple of points of contention by the Liverpool manager. And speaking of Liverpool, as we wrap up a little bit, the Liverpool talk, the dude who uh, started a goalkeeper today, Kaiohin Kelleher is the 11th goalkeeper to appear for Liverpool in the champions league. However, he's only the second to keep a clean sheet on his debut. The last dude who did that was a guy named Chris Kirkland in a game in 2002 against Galatasaray. Huh. Well, he played well today. He he made three really, really good saves. Uh, very entertaining game today. Ajax had a chance to score some goals in this. Kelleher, uh, who's an Irish international, uh, he played a really, really solid game. Uh, he looked much more solid and sure back there. Uh, compared to what Adrian has looked like uh, when he's substituted, Becker's had uh, some ha- hamstring issues, but uh, but yeah, it, he played a really really solid game. So I think in the pecking order, I think Kelleher may be leapfrogging Adrian to be the backup for Allison Becker in the Liverpool goal. Uh, it's good that this guy, you know, he made a big name for himself, and you know, as long as he keeps it up, you know. He certainly has a, he has a future at Anfield, and I wish the dude luck. I would love to write a story about him one day. Yeah, it was a good, great way to start, and you know I'm pretty sure he'll be playing for Liverpool this coming weekend. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go ahead and move on. Let's go ahead and go to Crystal Palace and Newcastle. Well, there was another prediction I got wrong. So so far I'm over, uh, you know 0 for two. I mean I had Crystal Palace winning, but Newcastle somehow picks it up on the road, wins two nothing. And both goals came within two minutes and in the closing stages of the game. Yeah, Newcastle made the last two minutes of the game count uh, goals by uh, Wilson and Jonathan. 
And uh, I had not picked Newcastle to go into London to pick up the three points in Crystal Palace either. I didn't think Newcastle was going to win this one either. It's like we said, and I'm not exaggerating, the more shocking surprises, they're just happening. But you know what? At the end of the day, I like surprises. So so keep them coming. <laughs> well, Man City certainly no surprise putting a beat down on Burnley. Well, there's another perfect pr- prediction, but aside from saying there will be more surprises, I but we both predicted Man City to uh, take care of business. Although I said three nothing, but five nothing is respectable. So, but bottom line is we both said Man City wins easily, and that's exactly what they did. Well, and Man City's Algerian forward uh, Mares with the hat trick, uh, Mendy with a goal, Torres with a goal. But uh, Mares playing in the type of form with City this year that he showed. A few years back when he was playing with Leicester City, when Leicester City won the EPL title, he's playing some really good ball for the Citizens this season. You know, it, it's really good. You know, and Benjamin Mendy's, you know, scored one as well, and so did uh, you know, Torres. And as long as the standings, Manchester City, despite this big win, they're still sitting at 11th place. But, you know, fourth wins, three draws, and two losses, but... It's only 10 games in, so as long as they have the momentum alive, they get lucky enough that the other teams start losing, Manchester City should, should be okay, as much as I hate saying that, because as all y'all know, I love Man U, but, but you know, this is the sports rank perspective talking, so i got to keep it objective, folks. <laughs> well, the really entertaining game on Saturday was uh, Everton hosting Leeds, and uh, Leeds' Brazilian forward, uh he had gotten a, a goal in this match. Uh, Diaz Baloli was able to get the, the match winner in the 79th minute for Leeds. This is one where both Everton and Leeds had multiple, multiple chances uh, to score. I mean, it's just a ridiculous amounts of shots and then shots on goal. Uh, but uh, really, really entertaining game. Another... Uh bad pick you know i we both had uh, everton taking care of business on the road but Le- leeds united apparently heard, heard what i said like they got to get it together they may you know they don't want to make the, their return to the, to the top flight all for nothing they want to stay up there so they want to pick up the pace and i really believe that one of the players or maybe the whole team apparently heard what i said i mean if y'all did then keep up the good work guys well and um the the boss um, for Leeds, Bielsa, who was a teammate, actually, of Maradona's on the 80, 86 uh, World, Club squad, World Cup squad for Argentina. He didn't get that much playing time at that time, but he was a, a, a teammate of his. And uh, I'll tell you what, Bielsa's play with Leeds, it's either kill or be killed. I mean, they just go guns blazing and they're just uh they're not going to be parking the bus or anything like that they're just going to go out they're just flat out going to try to outscore you um they're really really a fun team to watch you know leeds united really is becoming like that and and, and speaking of leeds united yeah for primarily name uh, cantona he used to play for leeds united didn't he yeah, Captain, uh, he helped Leeds uh, win a league title back, I want to say it was uh, 91, that was the, uh, the year before, 91 or 92, but it was the year before um, it became the EPL, but it was still, uh, it was Leeds's last uh, top flight title, and, um, but anyway, uh, they're, they're an awfully fun team, and 
I think their chances of uh, of staying up are are pretty good for right now, just with uh, the the style of play. But I mean, they every every game that they've been in against top flight teams. I mean, they gave Liverpool all they could handle in that very first game of the season. So uh, gave Carlos Ancelotti hit two home defeats for Everton, which is the first time he's had two home defeats since back in. 2012 when Ancelotti was coaching over at uh, PSG in France. Yeah, and as far as Leeds United goes, you know, as long as they, you know, they keep playing well, you know, get the solid performances, you know, play decently, they're going to stay on top of the Premier League and that's where they want to be. And I th- I think it was a uh, it had to be 91 because it was in 92 where uh, Cantona arrived at Old Trafford. Yep. So yeah. So it was ninety one. So yeah. Cantona was on that lead squad, and, and that was that was his introduction to the English game. And I'm just glad I brought up the name because now I have another article in mind to write. What if Cantona went to Liverpool instead of Man U? <laughs> now I have another subject to think on. But anyway, that's for later. So, but now we're talking Premier League football from last weekend. But now let's go into Southampton and Manchester United. Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh man! At first, my prediction was going to be correct because I predicted Southampton winning 2 nothing. But somehow, Manchester United somehow decided, you know what? We are sick and tired of this club pushing us around. It's time for us to return the favor, and that's exactly what they did. Well, Bruno Fernandes, uh, goal in the 60th minute, uh, Cavani with a goal in the 74th minute, and then a goal in injury time to be the match winner down at the coast. Um, this team is pretty much becoming Bruno Fernandez's team, and uh, the pickup of uh, Cavani from PSG. This is a move that looks like it's panning out pretty darn well for Manchester United as well. So uh, it was a great comeback by the Red Devils. And speaking of Cavani, actually, uh, I, I don't think he, he's not officially part of PSG. I think he was just a free agent sitting at home when they when they picked him up. Because I know that those those headlines that they they confirmed he was quote no longer part of the club, but but either way, Manchester United picked him up, and that was a surprise move because I figured I thought at, you know he was linked with Atletico Madrid. There was some momentum had picked up as far as him going there, but it just never fully went through. So Manchester United said, you know what, we need a veteran, we need a guy that you know that still has a lot left in the tank, and Edison Cavani is a perfect example. But you know, and I wrote an article um, earlier this week about. Should Ole Gunnar Solskjaer consider starting Cavani? I, I think it's time Cavani starts more often. I mean, I love Martial. He's all he's always gonna have my respect, and I want him to, to you know represent the French national team. But he's been struggling. You know, there's been and you know and, and Man U needs to put up results. Like they can't afford the draws. They can't afford to miss all these opportunities because they have a habit of it, and that's a habit they have to kill. So I think it's time for Cavani to be on the starting lineup more often. Well, let's not forget, too, that Cavani also set up Fernandez's goal. Mm-hmm. So, you know, coming off the bench, an assist and two goals. So, uh, uh, I mean, he came on uh, for Mason Greenwood because he had been pretty ineffectual uh, throughout the time that he was in against Southampton. So uh, so it was it was a really, really good win for Man U to get that down on the coast. It was, and you know, it was very smart of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to put Edison Cavani that early, that early in the second half because he sort of knew, like, you know what, Cavani is still motivated. You know what? Let's get this guy in. Let's see. Let's see what happens. And with these results, I think you know 
Solskjaer has got to take into consideration. We got to put Cavani in the game more often. But so lots of goals down on the south coast. Um, the London derby between Chelsea and Tottenham that ended up being a bit more of a sterile match than I thought. I really did not expect that one to finish with a zero-zero draw. But you got what you wanted. <laughs> oh, for Liverpool it was great. Uh, and for the rest of the pack that's chasing the top flight, uh, it was good news. Um, Edward Edward Mendy, uh, the French-born goalkeeper who plays his international ball for Senegal, he played a, a fairly stellar game for Chelsea. He kept out Aurier's uh, drive earlier on in the game. And uh, it was also nice to see uh, Pulisic be able to, number one, get in the game. Number two, even better, he stayed healthy, didn't seem to get hurt during the game either. So um, that was, you know, that was the good news there. Uh, but, uh, and then the other French gold contender, this one who plays for the French national team, Maurice, he made a really, really nice stop on uh, Mount towards the end of the game. And then he made a, fan, a really, really good stop on Olivier Giroud with time running out. So, I mean, both teams did have their chances to win. I mean, this wasn't, this one wasn't a yawn fest, but it, it certainly was a tight match and there were certainly good chances to score. So, uh, you know, all in all, not a bad game. Not a bad game at all. You know, Angelo Conte played, you know, man, four, I'm counting four, uh, Chelsea players, you know, re received a yellow card. Two player, two defenders. Uh, you know the forward, uh, Zayet, Zayetch, or however his name is pronounced, and then Mount, and then you know two players in Tottenham. You know that, that's what that's what I like about these derbies. These derbies get so interesting. You see all these players get booked. Like that's where you know there's a saying that's when uh, shit just gets real. So, but I predicted a one-one draw. But you know, at the end of the day, I mean it was it was, it was a hard it was a hard fought game. But unfortunately, no team could just you know get get on the board. They couldn't put the ball into the net. Yeah, I mean, it was just uh, it was just a tight game. Um, game that was a little later on Sunday, Arsenal and Wolves. This was another one of the surprise games. Uh, Wolves winning two to one at Arsenal was certainly you know big of itself, but the 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 thing that was truly frightening in this game was Jimenez's uh, head injury. Uh, going hard at it with uh, David Luiz, uh, you know, really awful clash of heads, and they had to wheel Jimenez off. He was knocked out colder than a mackerel, and uh, he was able to regain consciousness, and he seemed to be okay. Uh, Luiz stuck in the game for a little bit longer, but he had a really, really nasty head wound, and he was eventually substituted for. But uh, that one all almost that really frightening incident uh, kind of took away from what was a pretty dramatic game and a big win for Wolves and Arsenal. It was, and uh, speaking of Jimenez, uh, I think he was officially diagnosed with a concussion. Yeah, so he should be out for at least at least a game or two, uh, uh, depending on what the concussion protocols are saying. But I would hope that he's going to be out at least a couple of games, you know, to, to give himself, you know, some time to heal. And, you know, I think people out there need to realize that when you have a concussion, that type of a closed head injury, this isn't like having a headache or a migraine headache or something like that. And um, 
no two concussions are alike, and it takes people a you know, it can take a fairly long time to recover from a concussion. And this is something I know. Uh, number one, I'm a nurse who worked. I've worked in neurology, but then number two, I have a wife who had a head injury from a car accident ten years ago. And uh, in her case, her concussion kept her from working for about a year and a half. And this was work as a funeral director. This wasn't even work as a professional athlete. So when you're talking about a professional athlete, um, I think now with some of the science that's out, I think they're taking more of a prudent approach as far as how quickly they're going to get a player back into the game. But, uh, uh, but Jimenez's head injury was was truly, truly frightening. For precautionary reasons, what I you know, he's probably going to miss. I would say at least th- three games. Like he he might be clear to play after two, but just in case, just for him to further uh, heal, I think missing a third game as a precautionary reason would be ideal. And as far as the long term effects, you're absolutely right. I mean, the perfect example of that is also Sidney Crosby. Well, in ice hockey, yeah, and. Um... You know, one of the things, too, that's also starting to get talked about a little bit more, too, even in soccer. I mean, a lot of times, you know, people have been talking about head injuries, and they talk about sports like uh, American football, ice hockey, even rugby. But, you know, now, you know, they're starting to talk a little bit more about, you know, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, CTE. And uh, recently, another member of the 1966 England World Cup winning squad, Nobby Stiles, he recently passed away. And for the last few years of his life, he had dementia that they feel was attributed to all those years of uh, heading a soccer ball. So there's a lot more concern now that what they're seeing from a lot of these old school soccer players and heading that heavy leather wet football multiple, multiple times over the course of a career and what now appears to be sort of the detrimental effects that it's had for their brain health. You know, now they're starting to, to look a little bit more at that, but, uh, but anyway, but yeah, um, it certainly got me to thinking a lot about this stuff that uh, for people who think that soccer is not a contact sport, it most decidedly is a contact sport and uh, you can get, you know, pretty badly hurt playing this game as anybody who saw that replay of uh, Luis and Jimenez uh, taking each other out. um, It's a pretty frightening little bit of video. It is, and really, on a per- now this is on a personal level. When people make a joke out of the sport of soccer, you know, it, it, it's really frustrating because people just think, oh, you, all you got to do is run around, kick the ball, whatever. I'm like, it, it's more than that. Like, there's tackles, you know, there's, you know, moving the ball closer to play. You, you can get kicked in the shin, get kicked in the knee, get kicked in the groin, you know, have your foot stomped. I mean, things can happen, you know. Just like, you know, it, 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 concussions are. Or, you know, happen a lot in every sport. I mean, I had one during my amateur wrestling days, and there's another sport people were always making a joke of amateur wrestling. Oh, amateur wrestling is, I mean, it's not for the weak of heart. Like, I did it for discipline reasons. I did it as a means to stay out of trouble, but it was also for me to learn the life lessons of hard work. But, but the bottom line is, yeah, soccer, for the most part, is a contact sport. But the problem is, people just don't know the sport, and they just 
make a joke out of it, and that just shows that they just don't want to learn about it. And Well, you don't realize the amount of time that the head gets involved with stuff with soccer. I mean, people have hit heads against uh, the goalposts, the stanchions for the goalposts, uh, the, the multiple times you head a ball, sometimes where there's unintentional heading of the ball where somebody really tees off on a shot and you're only just a few feet away and you get drilled in the head. There's elbows, there's clacking heads. Uh, there's a lot more contact with the head with the sport than a lot of non-soccer fans realize. Excuse me. Yeah, it is exactly. You know, and you know, also a lot of times you get elbowed in the head too. I mean, uh, in the twenty eighteen Champions League uh, final, the German goalkeeper from Liverpool, I think his name is uh, I forgot his name, but he, you know who I'm talking about. It was said that he had suffered a concussion before he conceded uh, the first goal of the game, and apparently it was said because Sergio yeah, Carrios. Ramos, yeah, yeah, Carrios, Carrios, yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he was he was basically playing the second half of that game concussed. So, uh, you know, and that unfortunately had really detrimental effects uh, for Liverpool in the game. And uh, to be honest, you know, his career went into total freefall after that. Uh, Liverpool let him go, and he's been on a couple of different teams now. And, um, you know, he still, you know, hasn't you know, gotten up to really a top flight level. But yeah, that was a case where a head injury also had uh, disastrous effects. Um, I mean, clearly the Liverpool training staff did not do a very good job assessing his head injury because, you know, there's there's no way he should... If, if you've been concussed, there's no way you should still be out on the field. Absolutely not. And actually, he's actually still part of Liverpool. Like, he's on a loan, like... Like after the Champions League, he was loaned to a Turkish club, but he left. Uh, he left after having a bad row with the club. You know, apparently he took legal action because he was not. He was. He alleges that like he was not paid for months, but but right now he's playing. He he's still on loan. He's playing for a for Bundesliga club, a Union Berlin, but he's still on loan from Liverpool. So he's still technically part of Liverpool. Like they're just. I guess they're trying to build him back up or whatever. But, he, but he's not. But he's not playing at a high level. Yeah, he's not know. playing at a high level. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, you know, that's not, yeah. not, not, not to where he was at, you know, back in 2018, not yeah. nowhere even near that. But, uh, but you know, big win for Wolves, but uh, Arsenal's in probably as bad a spot as they've been in in a long time. So uh, that also, that's, that's the other talking point uh, from that game as well, too, is whether uh, Arteta, you know, how much will how much slack will they give them because they're sitting at 14th um with five five losses and 10 league games so um you know yes you know they they want an fa cup and then they want a charity shield but um but being down in 14th place that's just not going to fly with the suits that are over at the emirates Certainly won't, and it's not. It's 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 really hard, you know, seeing Arsenal. What's become of them? You know, everybody was always calling, you know, for Arsene Wenger, you know, to leave, to leave. And I said, look, Wenger, you know, obviously was, you know, he was dude, you know, considered old fashioned. You know, the tactics and everything were kind of a thing of the past. But, but I try to tell people, like, if you think getting rid of Wenger is going to do better for the club, I mean, it it really isn't. And you know, at this point, I mean, look at look at him now. Look at Arsenal now. I mean, they probably can't get Arsene back if they wanted to. 
Yeah, I don't know if he would want to come back anyway. But um, and then um, after that, uh, there were two pretty interesting games on Monday. Uh, Lester Fulham and West Ham Aston Villa both ended up being fairly entertaining games on Monday. Oh, absolutely! And Fulham somehow, some way, pull off a major upset on the road, second win of the season, and they are right now they're safe in the regulation zone. Yeah, they're, they're they moved up a bit. They're out of the relegation spots for the moment. Um, Leicester gets a consolation goal from Barnes in the 86th minute, but uh, Lookman and Cavaliero get get goals early on uh, for Fulham, who uh, they were kind of playing this one uh, for Papa Diop, the Senegalese forward who uh, scored. Senegal's game winner for Senegal against France back in the 2002 World Cup and arguably one of the biggest upsets ever um, in the World Cup. And then he played three solid years for Fulham. Um, so, uh, yeah, Fulham, Fulham won one and uh, very entertaining game played in the Midlands and uh, a nice win for, for Fulham. Absolutely. And if they can keep it up, then, you know, they'll be safe. But... But now we close out. We have West Ham and Aston Villa, and so, you know, and, and I got, I really got to say this about West Ham. It's just amazing right now. West Ham is in fifth place, and you know, it, you know five wins, two draws, and three losses. This West Ham is off to a good start. I mean, this may be their, this is probably their best start in in years. Best start in a long time, and they they really pounced on Villa early. Uh, scored off a corner kick early on. Their Italian defender, Obana, scored off a header from a corner in the second minute uh, of the first half. And then Bowen scores uh, just almost literally right after the restart in the second half. Um, Grealish scores a really nice goal for Villa. He he played a fantastic game for Aston Villa in, in a losing effort. Uh, he's... He is probably the most creative English player I've seen with the ball um, in a long time. I think I would probably have to go back to when Paul Gascoigne was playing in the 90s. Um, he's just a really, really fun young player to watch now. How how long um, he's going to be able to stay with, uh, with Villa before one of the big big five, big six clubs end up snapping him up from the Birmingham club. I don't know, but uh, Jack Grealish has formed for both England and with Villa has been uh, fantastic. And also to uh, credit to um, West Ham's Polish goaltender, Fabianski, who had a couple of really nice stops, made a point blank stop uh, on Trezeguet in the second half. Um, but uh, really, really nice win for West Ham. And, uh, you know, the Hammers up in the rare air of fifth place in the Premier League. West Ham, you know, this could be, be, finally be a, a year that they, they were looking for. But now that we're done talking about last weekend's, you know, let's go in and talk about this weekend's games. And speaking of West Ham, they got to play Manchester United at home. Yeah, that'll that'll be a that'll be an interesting one to be sure, given the the form that they've both been on. Uh, United's form has certainly been looking up a bit, um, and they've also been playing well in the Champions League too. 
and then uh, well Friday's uh, Friday's first game that'll be Aston Villa Newcastle. Um, tough one to pick as Newcastle kind of surprised in their last game. I think Villa will come off the deck from that loss against the Hammers, and I think they win this one. I'm sorry. I, I kind of lost. Like, which game exactly did you predict? I kind of got. I, I got. Aston Villa, Newcastle. They're the they're the they're the Friday game. Oh okay. Oh okay. That's that's you know very uh you know very reasonable re- reasonable pick. But as far as West Ham and Manchester United goes, uh, that's another tough one because last year when Man U played West Ham uh, on the road, West Ham picked up the two nothing win. So. I think this is probably going to be a 1-1 draw. Okay. Uh, Burnley-Everton, first game on Saturday, that 4.30 a.m. game, my time, 6.30 a.m. time, your time in Texas. Uh, I think Everton recovers against Burnley. I I agree. I think Everton takes the 2-0 win. Man City hosting Fulham. I don't I don't. I don't see Fulham getting two upset wins on the road in a row. I think City wins this one. Yeah, I'm gonna go with City wins four to one, and I'm and I'm nice enough to to let Fulham at least score one goal. Let's see, West Ham Man U. That one, I actually take Man U to take this one on the road. All right. So let me let me ask you this then: Do you, do you believe that Cavani is gonna start? <sighs> Good question. I I think I think they they may not switch to what's working. I think they may just bring the Uruguayan off the bench for instant offense in the second half. I think he's still going to be on the bench to start the game. I mean, but he's certainly making more and more of a case of playing a starting role for Man U. That's for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, in that case, you know, if if it's like you know one one, and then all of a sudden he comes in, and the game ends with Man U wins three, three to one. Like wow, another huge difference maker from from the Uruguayan, and I would love to see that. But but now we get to Chelsea and Leeds United. Well, this one will certainly be entertaining. Um, again, lots of offensive weapons for for both sides. Um, I think this one though, I think Chelsea wins this one at home. Yeah, I'm gonna go. Chelsea wins three to two. West Brom Palace. Um, this one, I'll, I'm going to pick this one as a 1-1 draw. I have to agree. I mean, Crystal Palace has lost a lot of momentum. It's it, it's really hard. It's been hard for them to recover. They're coming off a bad loss, you know, against Newcastle at home. So I think, yeah, I think a 1-1 draw is realistically the best best way to go. But now we get to Sheffield United and Leicester City. Hmm. I think City get, or excuse me, I think Leicester gets the three points uh, going up to Yorkshire. I think the Midlands club. I think they'll rebound from their from their disappointing game against uh, Fulham. I think they'll get the win against the Blades. I mean, they have they have absolutely no choice. I mean, they're lucky for them. They're still in fourth place, so Leicester City really can't afford another loss. And then uh, another one of those blood feuds, London Derby. On Sunday, Spurs, Arsenal. Um, Spurs really needs to get the win so that they can keep the pressure on Liverpool. 
at the top. Arsenal just needs a win, period. Uh, just with the pressure of them being down in, at uh, the 14th position right now. Um, I mean, I, I think in the end, I, I just think Spurs' attacking talent, I think the with you know Kane, Bale, Son, I think that that attacking threesome I think is just too much for Arsenal. I think this I think I think Spurs take it. I say Spurs take it three nothing. Then uh, Liverpool gets to play Diego Jota's former club, Wolves, uh, in the last match on Sunday. Um boy, I'll tell you, they've been using patchwork lineups the the last couple of games and um it kind of burned them a little bit down on the coast against Brighton. Um Wolves with their attacking talents, I mean uh they're obviously not gonna have Jimenez. That's a that's a huge loss on their offense. And I think I think that loss alone I think will be enough. I think Liverpool should be able to grind out a win at Anfield. But um you know, I just I just hope that Raul Jimenez can get himself healthy and get himself playing again for both Wolves and for the Mexican national team as well. I mean, he's such a talent. He had such a such a fantastic season last year for Wolverhampton. Um, I'm hoping that he can come back. Yeah, most definitely. But I think at the end of the day, you know, Wolverhampton is perfectly capable of pulling off an upset. But I have to stick with probably a two to two draw. Okay. And then, then the last game of the week, uh, South Coast uh, Derby, Brighton hosting uh, Southampton. I think the Saints get the win against Brighton. Probably because you know obviously they're they're very pissed off because they blew a two nothing lead and they they let Manchester Manchester United come back and cruise right past them so. These guys are pretty mad. They don't want. They want. They want to pull off a, a miracle on the road. So I think Southampton wins. I'm gonna give them two to one. Okay. All right. So now we're done with Premier League. Now we're gonna go ahead and switch over to the Champions League. And today, you know, the first you know of match today, five out of six, and a couple of very interesting results. Uh, first of all, let's start off with with your league and club. Olympique de Marseille picked up a two-to-one two win over Olympiacos. As Marseille's first Champions League win since 2004. It's been a while. Um, I mean, I still don't know. They're still, I think, going to have to get a win next week to even have a prayer of uh, falling down to, to play in the Europa League. But uh, I'm relieved that they at least a scored some goals today because before today they hadn't scored any goals in the competition, and then b they were able to actually beat Olympiacos, so uh, so that's good. But um, but they're going to need to to win um, next weekend, and I think I may be mistaken, but I think they finish with Man City, so that's going to be a pretty tall order. Yep, they play Manchester City on the road, so. They have to win in order to uh, fight. In order to have hope to go to the Europa League, they have to win, or, or just hope that Olympiacos does not win. Or if if, if somehow Marseille fights to a draw and Olympiacos loses, then there's still a bit of hope. But overall, there's very little to absolutely no hope because Manchester City, if you think they're gonna let up, 
You're out of your freaking mind, buddy. They will not. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't see them. I don't see them letting up. I think the only thing that Marseille would have to hope for is hope that they don't get drubbed, and then hope that Olympiacos really gets drubbed um, playing against Porto, and um, they'll be playing at home. So I just, I don't know. But uh, at least I'm relieved that uh, that Marseille was able to pick up the win today. So at least at least they picked up something in this. Uh, kind of disappointing Champions League campaign for them. Speaking of Porto, they held Manchester City to a 0-0 draw. Well, and Porto, they're they're no strangers to this competition. People forget Porto has won the Champions Cup slash Champions League a couple of times. Been a while since the last time, but, uh, you know, this is the team that helped put uh, the special one, uh, Jose Mourinho, Put him on the map when they when they beat Monaco in the well first they beat um, in the Europa Cup final they beat Celtic of Glasgow and then the final year they topped that by beating Monaco in the Champions League final so been a while since Porto has been in that rare air but at least you know uh, the city from the north of Portugal will be able to make it through the round of sixteen. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think at this point, uh, Porto and Man City are, are, are slated as the, the the two to make it. It's, it's it, so far. Well, Porto's technically they're already in. According to this, they're already in the the, the round of sixteen. Yeah, Porto's yeah. Porto, Porto's Porto's through. So yeah, Porto and Manchester City are both through. So that's said and deal. I mean, basically, right now out of that group, the only thing worth fighting for is you know for Olympique de Marseille and Olympiacos to whoever's going to go to Europa League or whoever's going home out of. With not competing for anything, I mean, right? Yeah, so <laughs> it's all about pride, basically, out of those two. But and I got to a Shakhtar Donetsk and Real Madrid. Man, Real Madrid, they absolutely stink. the The Ukrainians played a hell of a game, and you know, mind you, uh, Shakhtar Donetsk had just gotten done in consecutive weeks, getting absolutely destroyed. By Borussia Mönchengladbach giving up nine goals in two games, and uh, today to get the win, uh, they're playing this in Kiev because their home ground with uh, all the tensions and everything around that area, they can't play a home match there. So uh, for the European games, they're having to play those games in Kiev. But uh, but Shakhtar, they they played a really really good game against uh, against Real Madrid. Um, Real Madrid did have a couple of chances. Um, Benzema, not exactly his best game. Um, tell you what, the Brazilian, uh, Tyson, who is a forward, uh, wing for Donetsk, he played a fantastic match for the Ukrainians today. Really, really, uh, good game for them. And then, uh, another, another Brazilian, Dantino, uh, he got another goal for for them today. So a uh, nice win for for them. But uh, with uh, Inter Milan getting a win against Motion Gladbach, all of a sudden that group, which you know we talked about how this has become by far and away the most compelling and interesting group. So going into match day six, Motion Gladbach sitting on top with eight points. Shakhtar Donetsk was seven. Real Madrid was seven. 
However, the Ukrainians hold the tiebreaker because they've defeated Real Madrid twice. So their terrible goal differential doesn't come into play if they finish on the tie with Real Madrid. Real Madrid with seven points, Inter with five. So it all comes down to play in this last game. You know, any one of these four teams could theoretically qualify. Nobody's out. I mean, that's just, that's just the bottom line. All four are in play for the last, last game. Jeez. Reminds me so much of the NFC least, but (laughs) you know, know, Real Madrid has to finish out with uh, motion Gladbach. You know, if Real Madrid miraculously somehow wins the wins this group, I still don't think they're, 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 I don't think they'll, they'll be able to make it out of the round of sixteen. I mean, depending on who they play, I mean, Real Madrid is just a mess. I mean, I, as far as them asking what is wrong with the team, I don't even know where to start. I mean, okay, there's, I mean, and speak, but speaking of Real Madrid, okay, Eden Hazard once again got hurt. He's out for like three weeks. They said. Well, Ramos is hurt too, and and Ramos. Love him or hate him, he, he really is the heart and soul of uh, Zinedine Zidane's side. He really is the heart and soul of that team. And uh, without Ramos patrolling things on the, the back line, um, they're, they're just a very, very different team. Um, Modric, I thought, had a fairly decent game. He didn't, I don't think he played poorly for Real Madrid today, but they're just there weren't enough people that were sticking up, that's for sure. It's just one of those bad luck games, and it's it's, it's humiliating. It's, it's really humiliating. Inter Milan somehow picked up a three-two win over Motion Gladbach on the road. So you know, at this point, the winner the winner of the, of the group is still up for grabs. Yep. No, oh, any any one of them could could still make it to the round of sixteen. So, um, and theoretically, I mean, if you really want to, you know, take it out there, there's a very very there is a possibility that a team like Real Madrid or Inter may not even qualify for the Europa League by finishing fourth. I mean, there's a very, very real chance that either Inter or Real Madrid, all that history, all these really, really good players, that you know, there's a strong possibility that one of those two teams is not even going to be playing um, spring soccer. Can you imagine the humiliation if Real Madrid, like, finished fourth? Oh, yeah. You, know, you, just, you just can't even imagine. Well, and then, you know, as far as, like, talking about teams with names in Liverpool's group, Group D, Liverpool's assured of winning the group. But um, Atalanta now sitting at second. They're at eight points. They play Ajax in their last game. Ajax is at seven points. So basically, that one comes out to winner takes all. The winner of that winner of that match is going to go through the round of 16. And, of course, Atalanta had such a great run getting to the quarterfinals of the Champions League for the first time ever. And, you know, people need to remember that Atalanta is it's a small club in Bergamo. Um it's it's a city of like 150,000 people. It is not a big city. It's not one of the big fancy clubs with all kinds of clout like AC Milan or Inter Milan. 
uh, or Roma even for that matter, or Lazio. So for Atalanta to be doing this, so, you know, there's a very strong possibility that you've got a side like Ajax, who's won the Champions Cup slash uh, Champions League. They've won it four times in their history. Um, you know, there's a good chance they may not make it through. So, um, so yeah, that's you know, there's going to be some very, very interesting um, matches on match day six. And Liverpool's basically got the whole thing, you know, Nicely sealed and done, but still, I want to finish out with a bang, so I still say go out and win the game. There's no reason to tank. There's no reason to go for a draw. Just go out there and win. Yep. But now we get to Atletico Madrid and Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich's streak was close to coming to an end, but somehow Thomas Mueller avoided it. Well, and Atletico, after five games, Atletico Madrid is only sitting on six points. So they're only a couple of points up on uh, Red Bull Salzburg. And even uh, Locomotive um, Moscow, they're in fourth place at three points. So they're only three behind Atletico. And they have the exact same uh, goal differential, Atletico Madrid and Locomotive Moscow. So... um, if Salzburg is able to to win their last game, and if uh, Atletico were to somehow lose, uh, you know Salzburg could theoretically leapfrog Diego Simeone's team and uh, get that second spot. I'm not totally convinced that Atletico is gonna gonna fall that far. They're sitting at a little bit better goal differential. They're minus three and Salzburg is sitting at minus five. So, um, so I'm not, I'm not sure about that. So, I mean, I do think Atletico still might have the nod, but the fact that they're going to have to go into uh, match day six. And I mean, when this group first came out, I thought Atletico would for sure finish in the top two to make to the last 16. I, there was no doubt in my mind. It can very well happen, and so you know, and not, and not surprisingly, Bayern Munich wins the group. So, you know, I'm I'm still saying that good. I still think Bayern Munich's going to win the entire tournament. Well, I think they're they're just a beast, <laughs> and uh, barring injuries, uh, they're it, it's just such an impressive club. But um, you know, we'll I guess I guess we'll see, but. Um, We'll just have to take a look at the the Champions League matches that'll that'll be for tomorrow. We'll just have to talk about those at, at another time. Yeah, well, you know the two very interesting games we have tomorrow is we have Les Parisiens versus the Red Devils. Man, <laughs> Manchester United versus PSG. Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! So you know, in this one, I, I I don't even know who clearly the okay the favorites. I mean, I'm gonna be honest. It's probably gonna be PSG. But I can't make a firm decision until I see the lineup. Well, PSG has not exactly been ripping it up in uh, Ligue 1 this year. They've they've been looking very mortal indeed. So, um, but this one certainly of of the matches tomorrow. Um, that one certainly looks very interesting. Borussia Dortmund and Lazio. That one looks very interesting. 
Uh, Seville and Chelsea, this is one where they've played really good ball. They're both assured of going through to the round of 16, but you know, you, you always want to try to finish top of the group for a more favorable seeding. You know, that that's the conventional wisdom. So you know, based on how PSG is, I really, I think I think Manchester United is. My gut feeling tells me Manchester United pulls it off. I can't, I can't predict. I can't really predict a score, but I, I my gut feeling says the Red Devils take it. Well, that'll be the match that I'll be watching tomorrow. I'm definitely gonna have to find the effort to watch this one. And the other interesting one is Sevilla and Chelsea. You know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, for people that are fans of the American game, it'll be interesting to see if Pulisic, uh, if he's able to get a run in against the Andalusians. And then in um, the Borussia Dortmund-Lazio game, uh, will Giovanni Reina, uh, will he be able to, to play tomorrow for, for Dortmund? And then, um, well, for Juventus, speaking of Americans, uh, will Weston McKinney will he be getting a chance to play as well? So uh, that's and then uh, Barcelona, uh, Serginho Dest. So uh, it's really kind of fun being able to put some of these matches on, and you know, hey, Doug got it. Champions League soccer, and there are some American internationals that are playing. Yeah. So uh, it's it's pretty cool thing. It is very very cool and. As far as Seville and Chelsea goes, man, if if Pulisic can play and have a, an amazing game, like score a hat trick or something, man, fans that follow that are huge supporters of the American national team, they're gonna go, they're gonna go crazy. Or like you know, another American international scores, they're gonna go crazy because this is the future of the national team. I mean, people are tired of the U.S. men's team, you know, not doing anything, you know, qualifying, qualifying only to you know to have a disappointment. Like they want, they want them to. To challenge for the title, to make it as far as the quarterfinals, or somehow, somehow, some way, miraculously make it to the final four. <laughs> well, what's really become interesting now is both the U.S. and Mexico. They both have players now that are not just filling up roster spots. They're actually they're actually getting some play in on some pretty good clubs in Europe. So I'm I'm highly looking forward to the next competitive game that the u.s and mexico play with all these really good young players that both systems seem to be uh, getting right now so uh, i'm i'm very very much looking forward to the next usa mexico game well we'll be seeing that during the world cup qualifiers well now we're done with champions league now the final subject is quite frankly it's probably more difficult for you than it is for me. But last week, ladies and gentlemen, right before Thanksgiving, we lost a legend. I'm saying we lost Diego Maradona. And correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, if you want, if anybody wants to talk about 80s uh, soccer, Diego Maradona is the number one name that comes to mind. Even though there's the likes of Michel Platini, Marco Van Basten, Lo, uh, Lothar Matas. You know, the list goes on, but Maradona was probably the best player of the 80s. There's no question that he was he was the best player of the longer period of the 80s. And uh, he was just such an exceptional talent. 
when uh, he came up with Boca in Argentina, you know, poor kid from the slums, not a big guy. He's only five, five, but you know, in spite of that, in spite of his lack of size, uh, his, his skill, his vision, he had unbelievable pace. Uh, if you ever look at old tape of, uh, of Maradona, when he played, how fast he would be able to go with the ball at his feet, you know, I mean, it was more than most of us would ever be able to hope to, to sprint, you know, without a ball. His, his pace was just so incredible. Um, he, he could, and I mean, he could do it all, but there was this, uh, documentary that came out on uh, Maradona and it was done by the by the same director uh, Asif Kapadia who did the the documentary on um, on uh, Sena the Brazilian Formula One racer and he was able to get access to you know hundreds of hours of film of Maradona when he was playing with Naples in Italy. And uh, it's, it's absolutely amazing. The video on the field of him warming up, it's just, it's some of the most exceptional video, his uncanny ability to be able to, to control the ball. But then also too, the, the film kind of gets into the dark side a little bit as far as, uh, you know, Maradona, you know, sleeping with people who are not his wife, uh, bothering kids by multiple mothers, uh, you know, taking things off the field into excess as far as partying, cocaine, uh, gaining weight, and would do this, you know, heavy-duty yo-yo dieting and stuff. And uh, it was just... uh, It was just like you're watching a plane or a, a... a car crash and you want to look away, but you can't, you have to, you have to look at it, but it's a, it's an incredible documentary. And, um, he, he's definitely, you know, my top three, my top four to ever play the game. But, but I think definitely from 1984, 1985 to 1988, he was clearly the best player on the planet. You know, he sort of took he sort of took the baton. You know, for a couple of years it was Michelle Platini, and um, oh, forgot his name, the Brazilian player Zico. Zico. Those two were probably the two best players on the planet early on in early '80s, and then there was Maradona, and then towards the late '80s, as you know, he was having his body was sort of having the effects of the drugs, the yo-yo dieting. And then, you know, let's not forget too, back in the eighties, the referees did not protect Maradona at all. I mean, when you look at how referees protect uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi now, um, there's some video that you can see on YouTube that shows just these incredible leg breaking type tackles that, uh, Maradona was on the receiving end, and uh, especially when he was playing for Barcelona in La Liga, uh, you know that season and a half that he played with Barcelona. I mean, there was a boss defender, Goa Kachea of uh, 
athletic Bilbao just absolutely broke his legs, you know, tore his knee up. Uh, it's just a horrific, horrific uh, takeout on him. And, you know, Maradona clearly, you know, when you look at, you know, video of him later in life, I mean, the poor guy could hardly walk. His hips and his knees were in such bad shape. And um, you you try not to think about, you know, the bad stuff and sort of like the the caricature of himself that he sort of became in later life. But when you look at that time frame that he played, he was such a wonderful player. And it's, it's too bad that the referees and the powers that were of the game, that they didn't afford him the protection that they are more willing to give top flight players now, because that type of stuff now with, if anything were to happen to like a, a Messi or a Salah or a Ronaldo, you know, any of these top flight players, it, it simply wouldn't be tolerated now. But, um, but people looked the other way back in the 80s. Yeah, it really is. You know, in 80s soccer, is just so different. But, and, and I got to talk about, you know, was it, there was a time, you know, Michel Platini and Maradona, those guys played against each other when they were both uh, playing for the Italian uh, Serie A uh, league. And right. There was yeah, a time in Maradona, like Juventus was all, you know, Juventus is, is known for being a team with being loaded, but somehow they just can't get the job done. Like they get, they suffer upset losses. And there was a game from what I understand in 1986 when I think like Juventus lost to Napoli and like in a bad way or whatever. I mean, I'm not sure exactly. I mean, I'm sure there was times where Juventus, you know, and Lord knows how many upset losses they've suffered, but. Well, Juventus was dominant. I mean, early early to mid-80s, I mean, Juventus was one of the best teams in Europe. I mean, they, you know, won a Cup Winners' Cup. They won the Champions' Cup in 85. They had Platini. They had uh, Zbigniew Boniak, who was uh, international with Poland. Uh, they had, like, half the Italian national team played for Juventus. I mean, a huge number of the the 82 Italian World Cup winning side, you know, like six or seven of those starting players were starting for Juventus. And uh, the fact that Maradona was able to go to Naples to play for Napoli, and Napoli had never won jack shit before Maradona showed up in southern Italy. I mean, you know... Not Naples for for people who don't know Italy too much. It's a port city. It's a city that has its share of problems with crime. Uh, the Camorra, the the organized crime of of Naples. You know they sort of run things there. It's a very dysfunctional city on some levels, but. The people who live there, they're also, they, they carry a great deal of pride in being Neapolitans. There's a lot of beauty in that city, too. Um, I was there eight years ago. There is a lot of beauty in Naples. But it's, it, it is a very, very much maligned city that had never really won anything. I mean, it's just, but the best that I could try to compare it to would be like in American baseball, if a player were to decide to, instead of playing for 
the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Cubs that they would say, you know what, I'm going to play in Cleveland, you know, which is another, which is an American city that's probably Cleveland and Detroit are probably the two closest American cities that you could probably compare Naples with as far as, you know, socioeconomics and um, being much maligned and all that. So for Maradona to go to, to Napoli and they won two Scudettos while he was there. And then he also led uh, Napoli to win a UEFA Cup, which was their, their first European piece of hardware that they had ever won. And, um, you know, this was a time frame in Italy where a lot of the best players in the world, the way the money was back then, a lot of the best players in the world, uh, Zico, Socrates, uh, you know, who were two really, really high-profile Brazilian players, they were playing their club ball in Italy. Maradona was playing in Italy. Uh, Platini was playing in Italy. So, you know, there, you know, there was there was really quite the cachet uh, about playing for Serie A, but playing for unfancied Naples and for what Maradona was able to accomplish. Uh, was just simply exceptional. And then in 1986, the World Cup, that was a very, very... It, it was not... If you take Maradona away from that 86 team, there's really not a whole lot that that scares you. Like, man for man, it's nothing like the Argentinian squad that won the World Cup in 1978, which was loaded with talent all over. You take away Maradona from the 86 side, it's a very, very pedestrian team. And um, that incredible quarterfinal against England in the 86 World Cup, it's sort of the best and the worst of Maradona. The worst was that very cynical hand of God goal where, you know, ball goes up and he just basically punches it away from the English goalkeeper, Peter Shilton. Ball goes into the net. God only knows how the referee did not see it, oh. but the goal counted. <laughs> and and there was and and with some of the headlines actually that happened that came out in England, like in the Sun, um, which is a tabloid rag in England. Uh, there are still people in England who still have not forgotten about that hand of God goal, but then four minutes later. Maradona does his famous slalom, you know, 70 yards, goes past like six players, tucks the ball away. If you haven't seen it, I don't know where you've been, but if you if you haven't seen it, you got to look it up on, on YouTube. And if you could look it up with the Spanish commentary, it's even better yet. Uh, the other thing I would also uh, put out for people to try to get a hold of the 1986 official FIFA World Cup movie. Uh, it's called Hero. And Maradona obviously fe features predominantly in it. So uh, he has that incredible game against England, uh, scores a fantastic goal against Belgium in the semifinals. And then, although he doesn't score in the final against Germany, in Argentina's 3-2 to two win against West Germany, uh, he does provide the assist on, uh, on Brown's winning goal. 
So, um, tremendous World Cup. Absolutely, absolutely the most dominant performance by a single player I've ever seen in a World Cup. He was voted the best player of the tournament for a reason. And I got to ask, you know, and see, one of my uh, good friends who, who just like he was a good friend, he's a mentor, you know, he, we, we, I took a history class with him and he would tutor me. He's Argentine and he's, and he's um, you know, I, I talked to him and he you know, said it's very heartbreaking. And, you know, when I talked to him in that class, you know, I made him laugh so hard when I said, well, England's, England fans have to understand, even if England had won the – even if, even if like, that game somehow – even if that handball never would have went, what makes them think they would have beaten Argentina anyway? <laughs> That's just me kind of, you know, poking fun of England. But the, the point is, you know, you know, it, it's, a, it, it's, it's I can't call it a regret because, unfortunately, I was not around – for uh for the t- during that time you know you know his glory days you know he I'm not sure when he retired from the game but his peak years I mean this was in the 80s you know I wasn't around I mean my dad remembers watching him you know during that time you know he was in school starting out his career and everything so and he had been in France for a couple of years and he said like well you know Michel Platini was great you know at the same time Maradona was a guy that you just you just could not hate like no matter who you rooted for. You respected him no matter what, and, and and that assist, I mean, and that goal, I mean, somehow I'm actually amazed that Argentina somehow found a way to score another goal after, with like 15 minutes left in the game, West Germany does what they do best, they kind of, all of a sudden they come back and it's game on, but it's like, wow, and and the reason, from what I understand, the reason why, you know, Donut was covered well in that game, uh, the German, de- West German defender, uh, Lothar Matos, I think I'm saying his name right, he was the guy that was defending Maradona the entire time, and Lothar Matos is often considered one of the greatest defenders in history. No, Mateus was a great player, uh, but uh, Maradona, he was he was an incredible player, and he was at the, the height of his game. And I think the thing, too, uh, especially for Argentine fans, he never lost the fact that, you know, he was a kid who was from the wrong side of the tracks in Buenos Aires. He always identified with the have-nots. In fact, he used to hang out uh, fairly regularly with Fidel Castro um, as far as when he would go to Cuba. So he always sort of identified with with the underdog, and I think that's when... um, I think that was part of his charm, too, is that he, you know, he he did identify with that. And uh, it was interesting, even when he was a couple of years ago, when he was coaching in Mexico, that he wasn't coaching one of the high level teams like Chivas of Guadalajara or club America or Cruz Azul or or one of those teams. He was coaching at Dorado Sinola. That was in the lower division. And uh, that's another that's another series too on um, on Netflix. If you get a chance to watch it, uh, Maradona in Mexico when he was coaching at uh, Dorado Sinola, uh, you can see right away in how he acted with the players. I mean, he's what we would he was what we would call in in the U.S. He he would be what we would call a players' coach. You know, he wasn't a real X's and O's kind of guy. He was really kind of more like a like a rah rah cheerleader type of guy, you know, okay, boys, let's do it kind of thing. But, um, but I mean, you could kind of see, you know, even when he was coaching in Mexico with, 
this lower level club that you could tell that his players with Dorado that they they really admired him and um, they really appreciated that you know this guy who was one of the greatest if not the greatest to play the game depending on who you ask you know that he was going to come to you know their club and I know that at the time there were a lot of jokes about Maradona coaching in Sinola, which unfortunately is a Mexican state that's synonymous with uh, uh, narco traffickers and such. You know, the, it was like the perfect marriage of Diego Maradona, a guy who's had a history of drug use and abuse, being in, you know, the epicenter of, uh, of Mexican narco land. But, uh, you know, it's it was a very, very interesting story. Uh, didn't quite work out as a lot of people would have liked. He wasn't able to lead uh, Dorado Sinola out of the lower divisions into the Mexican top flight. But, uh, but it's a very, very interesting series, uh, not just on Maradona, but it's also a really good, really good study on, on life in Mexico as well. So uh, that aside. It's obvious, despite you know, those things, the drugs and everything, Maradona had a good life and he had a hell of a career. Well, I'm still, well he and I actually were born about two weeks apart and, uh, in, in 1960. And I was I was stunned that he made it to his 60th birthday. It's it's too bad he didn't live a whole lot past that. Um, he had had brain surgery, and then um, you know they they're saying that he died of a heart attack. But when you look at the video that's been shot of you know the thousands of Argentinians lining up. Uh, to see Maradona's casket lying in state in Buenos Aires. I mean, there is, it's, it's like a head of state. It's, it's like when Nelson Mandela passed away a few years ago in South Africa. There is nothing that I could compare this to to any athlete. Even, uh, even when Kobe Bryant uh, was tragically killed in that helicopter crash back in January, I mean, yes, there was a lot of mourning, and there was certainly a lot of mourning here in Los Angeles where I live. But as far as anything like a like a state funeral type of thing, um, even as many people that were hanging out by Staples Center, you know, this is nothing compared to the crowds and the the outpouring of emotion that has happened after Maradona's death, and uh, for. For people who watch soccer here in the U.S., uh, the name Andres Cantor uh, should come to mind for a lot of people. Uh, Andres Cantor actually was born in Argentina and was a kid when his family left Argentina uh, to come to the U.S. So he's always identified himself, uh, you know, as, as an Argentine and uh when you see him in interviews and stuff in the past week, I mean, he's been very, very emotional, you know, with tears in his eyes, you know, talking about him. So, uh, you know, it, it's certainly, certainly a soccer player who, who transcended a lot. And, um, there's, there's nobody that that's uh, lukewarm about him. I think you either really loved him or or you really hated him. But, uh, and again, I know he had his problems off the pitch, but, uh, but as far as 
what he was able to produce while he was on the field, he sure made an awful lot of people happy. Absolutely. And the last thing I'm going to say is, is and for my friend, uh, my Argentine friend, and I, I said to him, I don't see it as Platini or Maradona one being better than each other. Because like the important thing is, they both did, they both won a title for their country. Unfortunately, Platini couldn't win the world title for his country, but he did in fact win his his country's first national title, the the 1984 Euro, which my dad remembers very well. I'm sure you do. And I said that's the, that's what I like to focus on. I mean, I don't like saying you know this guy's better than this. I mean. I don't. I don't think one was better than the other. They're both good in their own way. Like they're both unique. Like they they were both different kind of players. Like they both played midfield or like striker or whatever. But the bottom line is they made they made their country proud. And it's unfortunate in Platini's case how his legacy is. But but you're right. Like we we, we focus the whole thing with Platini. The whole corruption. Like we don't want to look at it, but we have to. Like we can't ignore it. It's, it's yeah, I mean really. They're, they're different players, and they're really, really entirely, entirely different situations. But uh, you know, I mean, yes, Michel Platini was—he was a great player. He was a—he was a wonderful player. But uh, Maradona, at his best, I mean, the the only people who belong in the same conversation as Maradona is, in my opinion, are uh, Pele, Cristiano Ronaldo, and Messi. And uh, I think the other thing that is kind of a thing that people should take note is you take a look also if you take care of your body and you try to take care of the things off the field like Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi have done, the fact that those two have been able to play at such an incredibly high level for over a decade. I mean, Maradona at his best, best, I mean, that was like a five or six year period, you know, before he was like a comet and he flamed out. And, um, you know, the great what ifs. I mean, you, you talk about what ifs all the time. I mean, what if he had just taken a little bit better care of his body? What if he hadn't taken, you know, all the nose candy? You know, what what else more could could he have done? But even with what he did, even with during the time that he had, yeah, Maradona definitely belongs in the same conversation as Pele and uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi as well. Certainly belong in that conversation as far as who's the GOAT. Yeah, I mean, may he rest in peace. And honestly, you know, and this hard part, part two, you know, just a couple of days ago, I think we found out within the last 48 hours, uh, Papa Bouba Diop, the former Senegalese international who scored the goal against France in 2002, he passed away, and from what I understand, he passed away from... I mean, I don't know what the name of the disease is, but it's also known as being, uh, like, motor neuron disease. That's the disease that Stephen Hawking had. I mean, they, might, they might get it wrong, but the bottom line is, you know, 2020 has just been such a cruel year. I mean, you know, Sean Connery, Alex Trebek, I mean, you know, Maradona. Jeez. This has just been a, it's just been a bad year. Yeah, 2021 can't uh, come soon enough. That's for sure. Saying, okay, a, uh, it says that the Diop died of ALS amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. Yeah, that's Lou Gehrig's disease. ALS. Okay. Yeah. ALS. Well, so, yeah, I didn't realize I didn't realize that he had it. You know, and I I work neurology, and um, you know, ALS. There's there's no cure for it, and it's fatal. Yeah. And um, it's just. 
it's a miserable way to go. And I'm, I'm really, really sorry. Diop was such a good player for Senegal and uh, he played with uh, Brian McBride at Fulham. And, um, you know, he had sent out some words of condolences as well too, for his ex teammate. May he rest in peace. And, as far as Diop goes, just so y'all know, I'm I'm not mad about what happened in 2002. Honestly, I'm happy for him. You know, they, Senegal won fair and square. France could have won the game if they had played a little bit better. They just didn't. But you know what? It was 2002. But Papa Bubba Diop, may may he rest in peace. God rest his soul. Same with with Diego Maradona. Man, it's just it's sad when a when a live when a legend passes away. But at least they're in better places now, though. Indeed. Well, that does it for this week. I'd like to remind everybody that Internet FC is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and YouTube. Steve, I want to thank you so much for joining me again this week. I look forward to having you back on soon. Hey, everybody. Have a great rest of your week. Take care.